Jeremiah chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you tonight, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. The book of Nehemiah. We've seen in the first couple of chapters here a man, Nehemiah is his name. He's the author of this book that bears his name. And as we've discussed in looking into this, there's so many amazing avenues and angles and and ways to go. And many of you probably have done different studies through the book of Nehemiah before. Um, Just as a reminder, Nehemiah worked for, uh, he was the cupbearer for the king, um, the the most powerful man in the world. Artaxerxes was his name. And uh, if we could, if we could go back one that other, the other diagram, if we could, that first one. Um, I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, we see as we've uh, studied through this, the Lord laid on his heart a burden for his, his homeland, specifically for Jerusalem. And as he found out that the city lay in, in disarray, the wall had not been rebuilt. The temple had been, and people had been occupying the area, but they hadn't built the wall yet. So the city was still not yet a city. The city was still not the place that it needed to be. And this burden was placed on his heart. And we saw that he prayed and he fasted. Four months he waited uh, for that opportunity, for God to open up that opportunity for him. And we talked about the fact the Lord was preparing him, preparing the king for that moment when he would go to the king. And last time we looked at that, where he, he asked the king if he could go back, and the king not only granted him the permission to go back, but gave him all of, the, all of the equipment and the tools and everything needed in order to go back and to rebuild the city walls. And we saw back in chapter 2, and just as a kind of a run-up to where we get into chapter 3 tonight, verse 11 says, he, when he finally got to Jerusalem... He got up in the evening and with a few men, it says, he did not tell anyone what my God, verse 12, was putting into my mind to do. He understood that God was putting this this desire in his heart and in his mind. And then we see as we look down there, and that's kind of what this little diagram uh, here kind of shows. Uh, If you see right down in the the middle there where it says Valley Gate towards the bottom, uh, kind of the Florida-looking piece down there, Um, in the middle of that, the Valley Gate, that's where it says that he came out And then he went down around the bottom, past the dung gate, and then um, reading through that there, it tells us that he got to a point where he couldn't pass on the animal that he was. And so he went back around, back up to the valley gate and in. So that's where we see now the the outline that is around the outside. I don't know how well you can see that, but the darker lines in the middle there, like I said, it looks like Florida. And if you kind of follow that up past and going around the temple, that is the wall in Nehemiah's time. We're going to look at that, that tonight. But the other line that goes all the way around, that's the, the, the wall in, in Jesus' time, if you would, and that's been rebuilt around the old city now. The Temple Mount is that area in the middle there, and so you can just kind of see, I came across that diagram, thought it was kind of an interesting way to look at the, te- the, the wall in Nehemiah's time compared to the wall around the old city. So as we see and we looked at this um, in verse 17 last week, we were kind of rushing to get through at the end there. When he finally does relay the information to the people, notice he says, you see the bad situation we are in. Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned with fire. The, the city is in disarray. The place where they called, it's in ruins because the, the wall was still not there, rebuilt. And I couldn't help as I was preparing again for tonight. It says, you see the bad situation we are in. And kind of as a point to get moving off of 
today, tonight, as we look at this, we look around us in the world that we live in and we see everything that is going around us and we see the bad situation that we're in, don't we? When we look at it again from a worldly perspective, from the things that, that are around us, I find it, um, well, not, not even interesting. It's, it's, it's so, unfortunately, it's just the way things are that even after this tragedy that took place this week, um, Sunday night in Las Vegas, immediately we start seeing that everybody starts and makes it political. It becomes about, you know, well, if we just do this, we could eliminate that and turn it all the way. And I think that's part of the enemy's plan. Let's, get, let's start getting the, the confusion. Let's start getting fighting about all of these types of things. Guys, the only thing that can fix this problem, the only thing that can fix the bad situation we are in is Jesus. Jesus is the only answer to the problems, the situation that is around us. And he says, he says, you see this bad situation. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. He told him how the Lord, the hand of God had been um, favorable upon him. And when they, he had shared that, they said, let's do this. Let, let us rebuild. But then we saw Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, come up, rise up against them uh, along with this Geshem, the Arab. They heard about it. They mocked him. They despised him. And where we left off last time, is this understanding that we need to embrace that if we are going to be obedient as God calls us to move forward, we pray, we seek the Lord, he lays something on our hearts, we move forward again with the truth, the way that, that with the truth of Jesus, something that can actually, that the, the only answer, being obedient to him, we can expect two things. First of all, the hand of God upon us. He goes on to finish verse 20. So I answered him, the God of heaven will give, me, give us success. We can expect the hand of God on us if we are walking in his way and doing his will and, and, and following in the power of the spirit in us. We can expect the hand of God on us, but we can also expect the hand of the enemy against us. And that is what we see in verse 19 there. And we're gonna pick, we'll, we'll be re back introduced into the, with these guys as we get on to chapter four and following. But tonight, we're going to look at chapter three, and it's really a fascinating chapter. There's a lot of things that uh, I hope to be able to bring out of this as we move through it together, but they, they stood up to the, their, their enemies that came to them. They said, God will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Because, and the, there's a community, this effort that the, the entire people join in with. So let's start our study tonight, chapter three. Then Eliashib... The high priest arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. So if we could put up that other diagram, and I'm just going to have them leave this up tonight as we move through. I found this as well. Um, if you're watching online or watching this later, you can Google Nehemiah 3 and then hit images, and this one will be one of the top ones. It's kind of nice to follow along, as you can see, as we're going to start in the Sheep Gate, which is in that upper left-hand corner. And we'll follow it all the way around, and we're going to meet all of these guys as we go through the text. So we'll just kind of leave that up there. First of all, let's note Eliashib, the high priest. The high priest, he gets right into the action himself. He is one of the main leaders, obviously the religious leader in the group, in the entire community, the high priest. And leaders lead by example. And we see this in this man. He leads by example, and 
If, if you're a parent here, especially grandparent as well, you are a leader and you need to lead by example. And no matter where you might be, there are people looking to you, especially if they know you're Christians and they ought to, they should, our lives should reflect that. But people will look to us and we are leading in either one of two ways. We're either leading in the right direction or leading in the wrong direction. And here we see a man that stands up with his brothers leading in the right direction. And obviously there's, there's a great follow through with that as we continue to move, move on here. Verse two, next to him, the men of Jericho built and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri built. Now the sons of Hesanah built the fish gate and laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Now we've seen this word built used a few times here. It's the same word that was used at the end of, of chapter two. And literally, it really carries with it the idea of rebuilt. Um, the, the, this, these walls were torn down by uh, Nebuchadnezzar when they came in and they're rebuilding these walls. Verse four, next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. Next to him, Meshulam, the son of Barakai, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Banah, also made repairs. Now, the word changes from built to made repairs, and that word repairs or made repairs is used 35 times in chapter three. We're gonna see a lot of repeated words in this, in this text, but 35 times made repairs. And it literally means that the Hebrew word that is there, chazak, literally means strengthening, but it can mean encouraging to make stronger. And I, I, I love this idea when, again, we're looking at, they're building a physical wall, but when we look at this this world around us, the bad situation that we are in that can only be fixed by Jesus, guys, there's work that we need to be doing. There is ministry that we need to be doing. We can't just sit back and let somebody else pick it up or let somebody else run with it. We are all called as Christians to be an active part of ministry, an active part of what God desires to do. And as we see all of them starting to get into this work, as we work through our text tonight, we see that everybody has a job, everybody has a place, and focusing on those things. But I find it interesting, this word again, made repairs, to strengthen, to encourage, to make stronger. Also, there is a phrase that is used 29 times throughout it, next to, next to. They're working alongside one another. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. Encourage one another. Build each other up. He says, you're, all, you're doing that already, but continue to do that. He's encouraging them. Verse 14, he says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Helping the weak. Be patient with everyone. I think that is great as we look at this great advice that Paul gives us as we work alongside one another. We need to encourage each other. We need to help one another. And how many of you know we need to be patient with one another? 
as we work alongside each other. And we'll see as we continue to work through this some of the examples that even come out in in the work and, and the possible friction that can be there. But guys, we need to be patient with each other as we encourage one another in this work, because this work, quite honestly, it can get frustrating at times. It can get, to, we can get to the point of despair at times because we do look around and we see why aren't things happening this way or why aren't they going this direction? We need to understand God is the one who is, who is at work and he's allowing us to be a part of this. We need to be patient in the process, be patient with one another. And then it says this, verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Again, working alongside one another, we know this. If, we, if you've been a part of, of ministry at all, if you've been a part of any type of relationship at all, you know that there's gonna be times when something will come your way that in your flesh you're gonna wanna return in kind plus a little, right? <laughs> but the word tells us that that is not how we are to behave. We're not to return in kind. We're to be patient. We're to extend grace. We're to extend mercy to one another as they work alongside one another, next to each other, making the repairs. Verse five, moreover, next to him, that the Tekoites made repairs, but notice, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Literally, that word not support means they wouldn't submit. They wouldn't bend their neck is the actual translation of it. They wouldn't submit to what was going on. I find it interesting. This is the only negative call out in the entire chapter, but it is there. There were those that when they saw what God was doing, they saw what the people were doing, they saw the response, they said, I'm not gonna be a part of that. I'm not gonna do it that way. And interesting, the word nobles seems to carry with it that they were of some higher standing. So they were like, you know what? I'm not gonna stoop down to that level. I'm not gonna get down and get a part of that. I'm not gonna do that piece with it. I have a feeling that they probably regretted it later. Initially, the response came out and it was like, you know what, this, I, I wouldn't do it this way or it should be done this way or I'm not gonna get down on that. I'll wait until the wall gets up to this other level or whatever, we don't know exactly. But bottom line, the Lord had Nehemiah report, record their part too. I do see a lot of grace in the fact that their names aren't listed. <laughs> but the fact that they that they said, you know what, we're not gonna do that. They're gonna stiffen their neck. There's, gonna, there's pride, obviously, here. And probably regretted that later. I, I, I can only imagine once they saw it continuing to go and continuing to see the success. Well, verse six. Joida, the son of Peshah, and Meshulam, the son of Besoadiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beam, hung its doors, and its bolts, and its bars. Next to them, Meliatha, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the, the Meronathite, the men of Gideon and the men of Mizpah, also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Hariah, of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now you can see up here, if you're following around, we're kind of moving an hour around the corner. And 
I, I love this verse. It says, that it, it gives us the trades of a couple of them. One, goldsmiths, and the other, perfumers. Notice so far we haven't come across one wall builder. That, that, was, that, that was their trade. That's what they did. That's, you know, no, everybody is getting involved in the work regardless of what their gifting is. And even to the point where they're st- stepping outside of their gifting, I just I, I find that almost comical. Here's one guy that his job is to put together a bunch of stuff that smells good, and he's getting his hands dirty. He's getting down there, and he's he's lifting stones. He's putting them in place. Probably doesn't have a whole lot of experience doing that. Probably his hands probably getting blisters because there's not a lot of calluses on him as he's doing this. And I got to think he's looking at other people thinking, I'm used to making perfume. How is it that we're doing this? How does this whole thing go? But they're all involved. And guys, I'm, I, I guess I, the point I want to make with that is it doesn't matter what your trade is, what your gifting necessarily is. God wants to use you in a great way. And sometimes people are thinking, you know, I'm not sure exactly where to get plugged in because these are my gifts. These are the things that, that I, I like to do. These are the things that I do well. I'm not sure where I plug in. If you're not sure where God is calling you to get plugged in, go to the connect table out there and say, where do you need help? And get plugged in there. And God will show that. God will reveal that to you. You might say, well, I'm not qualified. I don't know the first thing about that. Well, that's, we'll, we'll train you, but you can get, come alongside somebody else who's doing it and do what they do and, and just get involved with it. I love this. All men of different areas and backgrounds coming together, working together, not one of them listed that we see all the way through this was a professional wall builder. Different gifts, Common vision, same mind, all working towards that. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 27, it says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, this amazing gift that we've been given he goes on to dis- explain that so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you and that too from God. Don't be alarmed by your opponents. When we're working alongside one another, again, encouraging each other, being patient with one another, that when the enemy comes, when the enemy attacks, we, we encourage each other, we stand firm with one another, we can pray with one another. In no way alarmed by your opponents. He says, standing firm in one spirit one mind striving together. Later on in, in, in chapter two, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation in love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affectionate compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Guys, unity is so important when we are working together in the work of God. Unity together. 
And when I say unity together too, I'm not just speaking about us as just Calvary Chapel surprise. That's extremely important that we have unity together as the body here. I'm talking about the body of Christ, unity together, one purpose. Because it says, in no way alarmed by your opponents, how sad is it when the opponents are on the inside? When the opponents are the ones that should be working together. One of the things that grieves me and it grieves us as a leadership team, we talk about it as elders, but it's something that's just really heavy on me often, is this, for lack of a better term, competition between churches. It really bugs me. It really bothers me. Um, I've seen it. I've, I've come across it. Um, there is st- there's a possibility of, a, of another Calvary Chapel here in Surprise. And I got to say, I'm super excited about it. And it's not very far from here. It's only a few blocks from here. And I got a call from Calvary Chapel Association. And they said, we just want to make sure you're okay with this. Okay with this? Of course I'm okay with this. What, the, what this city needs is more Bible teaching churches. What this city needs is more people who are willing to share the gospel. And amen. We, we, this whole idea of competition within the church, we're not in opposition to one another. I'll tell you right now, write, write this down if you're taking notes. Hillview Baptist Church. Pastor's name is Tim Treber. His wife's name is Rebecca. I just had uh, coffee with him this morning. They just had their first service on Sunday, this past Sunday, at Cimarron Springs, just right up the road from us. Um, met with him. They are, he loves the Lord Jesus, absolutely inspired word of God, teaching the word of God, t- lines up with us doctrinally, the whole thing. Guys, we're on the same team. And just praise the Lord. They had their first service this week. Over 100 people came to their first service. Praise the Lord. But keep praying for them. As we shared a few months ago, there's 120,000 people that live in Surprise. And over half of them have no church affiliation. So unless we plan on building a 60,000-seat theater, let's pray that God raises up other Bible-teaching, God-fearing churches. And let's support one another I get off that soapbox. Anyway, one vision. Paul says that he just totally, you know, blessed his heart that they would stay focused on that one vision. And guys, that blesses God's heart, how it must break his heart when his family is fighting, his family is competing. Well, one other thing, just, as, just to make a quick note of that's just interesting, where it says, as far as the broad wall, if you've ever been to Israel, especially on a tour with me, I try to make it a point to sneak into the old city at least once or twice to go and look at some things that are in there. It's really neat. One of them is actually there's a section of the broad wall that it dates all the way back to Nehemiah's time. And I have a couple of pictures of it here um, just to show you real quickly. There it is right there. And if you could see on the upper, upper left part, this is right in the middle of the city. Yes, that's a playground right there up in the upper left-hand corner that there's a school that's right there, an elementary school. You can literally walk right around all around this. There's shops, there's houses, there's everything right there. It's in the middle of the old city. But that dates back actually pre-Nehemiah time, torn down again by Nebuchadnezzar, rebuilt during Nehemiah's time, and it runs right through the old city of Jerusalem today. 
there's one other picture that kind of, you can see it a little bit better. In the lower left-hand corner there, you can actually see a house, again, dates back to that time of Nehemiah, where they literally rebuilt, and they were using parts of that house to rebuild the wall. It, the wall cuts right through the middle of the living room um, of the house there. But, so that's the broad wall right there. Verse 9, next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, the official of half the district of Jerusalem made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of uh, Haramuth, made repairs opposite his house. And we're going to see that a few more times later on, opposite his house. We'll address that in a moment. And next to him, Hattush, the son of uh, Hashabaniah, made repairs. Verse 11, Mel- Melchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashub, the, the son of Pehath Moab repaired another section of the tower and or another section and the tower of furnaces. Now, Melchijah, the son of Haram, is an interesting one. Mentioned here in verse 11, we saw him previously. Now, you only saw him if you did your homework when we were in Ezra, because I gave you homework to do. But if you turn back to Ezra chapter 10, just a few pages, maybe two in your book, in your Bible. Ezra chapter 10, remember Ezra came and he confronted all of these men that were living there that had taken foreign wives, married foreign wives. And at the end of chapter 10, there was a list of the offenders that repented and turned from that evil way. And it started, starts in, in verse 18, and I gave you the homework if you wanted to read it all the way through. Verse 31 the sons of Haram, Eleazar, Esaijah, Melchijah, right there. One who had, was outside of the will of God, living a, a, in, in, a life, in a life of sin, had sin in his life, was confronted with it, repented, and here we see him later on recorded in Nehemiah chapter 3 as one of the ones that were, had his shoulder to the work, working and doing what God was behind what God was doing. And I say that, guys, because the enemy would like to tell some of you here tonight that you're disqualified from doing work for God because of something in your past. And I'm here to tell you the blood of Jesus covers that. If you are a born-again believer here tonight, you are forgiven of your sin. You stand declared righteous before a holy God. If there is sin in your life right now, repent. Turn back from that sin. Turn to the Lord your sin is forgiven, and he desires to use you. And I, again, I, I love that here's a perfect example. He repented. He's serving the Lord. It took some time to get, to get that whole process worked through. But your past failures, the enemy would like to tell you, will keep you from serving the Lord. God wants to use you. Just simply repent and come back to him. Well, next to Shalom, next to him, Shalom, the son of Heloesh, the officer of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Notice he and his daughters, ladies, young ladies especially, not excluded from getting right to the work. There, this, there's, this, is, this is all in, everybody doing the work. 
Hanan, the inhabitants of Zenoa, repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors and its bolts and its bars and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. So now we've reached this point. We're all the way over to the right where it says dung gate. That is the same gate that we're talking about now, the refuse gate. Now, notice this particular group here repaired a thousand cubits of the wall. A cubit is about a foot and a half. So they, they repaired, note that, that blue line that runs all the way from the valley gate all the way to the dung gate there, this group handled that entire section. Quite a, quite a bit of work going on in this group. Uh, Melchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakaram, repaired the refuse gate. He built it, hung its doors and its bolts and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kol Hosea, the official in the, the district of Mizpah repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung the doors with its bolts and its bars, and the, pool, and the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden as, as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, not our Nehemiah, a different Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, the, the official of half the district of Beth-Zur, re, made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David. And as far as the artificial pool of the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites carried out repairs under Rehum, the son of Benai. Next to him, Hashbiah, the official of half the district of Kaliah, carried out repairs for his district. After him, their brothers carried out repairs under Baviah, the son of Henadad, official of the other half of the district of Kaliah. Next to him, Ezer. I wish they were all that easy. The son of Joshua, the official of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. Okay, so verse 20, again, we're working our way around. Verse 20, here we see a little bit, something a little bit different recorded. There's something special about this guy in this verse. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Eliashib, the high priest zealously. Interesting word that is used there. If, we, if, you're, if you'd look right ahead into chapter 4, verse 7, when we're reintroduced to Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Amorites, they heard of the repair of the walls Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. That's the same word. Very angry and zealously that is used there. And it's, it has several meanings, but anger, burning. Um, but here we see passion. Passionately, he is going about his business. And again, I think about building the wall, putting the stones in place, and passionately doing it. He is zealous for it. And God takes note of that. God takes note not only of the work he's doing, but his passion that he has about it, the, the zeal that he has, that he's on fire for the work of the Lord. Revelation chapter three, Jesus says in verse 14, John says, I'm sorry, recording what Jesus spoke, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of, uh, of God says, I know your deeds. 
The Lord Jesus speaking to the church at the time says, I know your deeds, I see what you're doing. But he also says, I see your attitude behind it. He says that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you're lukewarm. Interesting thing about lukewarm water is it's the, the, the temperature of the water is the same as the environment around it. There's no, there's no passion. There's no zeal in serving. And Jesus goes on to say, um, because you say I'm rich, I have, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and you do, not, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The eye salve, anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. We, are, we need to have passion and zeal in the work of the Lord. So much of what goes on today in the so-called church has become lukewarm. It's taken on the temperature of the world around it. And that's why one of the things that I was talking about today with Tim this morning, he's new, he moved here from California, we've been here a while, and he asked me, he said, why, why do you think that it is the way it is here? You know, churches kind of come up and they go down, there's, and, and few get going and, and that type of stuff. And I, I, I said, because I think too few of us are passionate about the word of God. Too few of us are passionate about the work and we become like, like the world around us. And the world is tired of being lied to. The world is tired of a Christian version of what it already has. The world wants the truth. The world needs the truth. Again, going back to how I, I started this, guys, the only one that's going to make any difference is Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if we keep watering down, if we are you know, trying to just not, not be too on fire, we don't want to chase people away. No, the Lord wants us on fire. And he wants us to be zealous. And he takes note of this man, Baruch, and he takes note of his church that's not on fire. And he says, be zealous, repent. And if you are just, you know, just still flickering, the Lord again desires, he's not going to snuff you out. His desire is not that, but to fan you back into flame. Jude writes in his letter, he said, I just wanted to write you just this note to encourage us in the faith, but he said, I just feel overwhelmingly compelled to encourage you to be zealous for this faith that has been handed to us. Defend earnestly the faith that for once for all has been handed down to us. The Lord takes note not only of the work, but of the passion behind it. Verse 21 after him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the doorway of Eliashib's house, even as far as the end of his house. After him, the priests and men of the valley carried out repairs. After them, Benj Benjamin and, and Hashub carried out repairs in front of their house. Here we see that again a few times, in front of their houses. Guys, if your house is in disrepair, if the wall is in disrepair in front of your house, make sure that's taken care of. Guys, the, they're... The enemy is going to attack us in our homes. 
The enemy is gonna come after our families. We step out to do a work for the Lord, he's gonna come after our families. Make sure that the wall is built and solid and strong around your home. The word of God is there, that we sing his praises, that we pray together as a family. The work there done right in front of their homes as they continue the work there. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, carried out repairs beside his home. After him, Benuai, the son of Hadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle, as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, made repairs in front of the angle and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king, which is by the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, made repairs. The temple servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east of the projecting tower. After them, verse 27, interesting, after them, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. We were introduced to these guys back in verse 5. And now here we are in verse 27, they're repairing another section. And what that tells me is, guys, when you get done doing the work that God's called you to do here, it's not time to quit. It's not time to retire. It's not time to kick back and watch everybody else finish their section. It's time to go say, all right, Lord, where do you want me to get plugged into now? How can I go help them? How can I move on to another section? Because there's no retirement in serving the Lord. They move on to another section, and they get busy with the work there. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priest carried out the repairs in front of each house. After them, Zadok, the son of uh, Immer, carried out repairs in front of his house there again. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekiah, the keeper of the east gate, also known as the golden gate, carried out repairs. And there's a whole fascinating study about the golden gate, and that's the gate that Jesus will come in through when he makes his triumphant return uh, uh, in, in the future. And that's the one now, it's interesting, if you go to Israel, that gate is all completely closed up. It's all sealed off by the Muslims back around 1500 or so because they heard the prophecy that the Messiah of the Jews is going to come through that gate as it's recorded. Uh, so he said, well, I'm gonna fix that. So they, they board it, they, they cover it all up, they seal it all up. And then to make sure that, that, that the Messiah can't come through there, they put a graveyard all in front of it. There's all these Muslim graves that are there. And so they're thinking, and why is that important? Because no holy Jewish man would ever put a foot on a grave. So they're thinking, we're gonna make sure that the Messiah is not gonna come through this gate. But guess what? When he comes back, he's gonna, it tells us in Zechariah, he's gonna put his foot on the Mount of Olives and it's gonna split in two and he's gonna walk right in. So the cem- half the cemetery's gonna go that way, half's gonna go that way, he's gonna walk right in. Anyway, that's a whole other fascinating study in itself. But that's this gate. Um, after him, Hananiah, the son of uh, Shelemiah, and Henam, the sixth son of Zaleph, repaired another section. I like that. Even, even the little guys getting involved, the sixth son. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out the repairs in front of his own quarters. And I think that's really cool. Again, here we see these others in front of their houses, in front of this one guy's house. I mean, he had a whole bunch of guys from one end of his house repairing the wall all the way to the other. So he had a big old house, all of these other things. But here we see this guy in front of his own quarters. 
not a mansion, just a single room, and he's out there working, going, protecting, taking care of that, the, the, the repairs in front of his own quarters. After him, Melchijah, again, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants of the, of the merchants. Merchants are involved in front of the inspection gate as far as the upper room and the corner. Between the upper room of the corner of the sheep gate and the goldsmiths and the merchant carries out, carried out the repairs. So notice we've made the full circle all the way around goldsmiths and the merchants and we're back at the sheep gate. Now, I read it really fast, butchered a whole lot of names, but the point is everybody got to work. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And again, the enemy is going to try to convince you that either you're disqualified or you're not qualified or you're, you're not skilled in this or you can't do that. Guys, don't listen to the enemy. He's going to, we're going to see that as we get into chapter four. They're going to come. They're going to keep coming after it. But guys, if, as born-again believers, as Christians, everyone has work that God desires for us to do. We look at this situation around us, the world around us today, it is, it is too big. I use this a lot. It's impossible, but it's him possible. And he works through us as believers. And as he's calling us and as he's moving us and as he's doing what only God can do, revival can still take place in this land, but it's gonna happen one heart at a time, one soul at a time, as we are obedient and answering the call of God. If we are obedient as children of God, in the will of God, to do the work of God, by the Spirit of God, going back to chapter 2 at the end there, we know that we will have success. How do we know that? Because he's going to do it. He is going to do it. And we're blessed because he chooses to use us in that, but we have to be we have to be patient. We have to work alongside one another. We have to in, encourage one another. We have to be willing to say, "Oh, hey, somebody said gives gives a suggestion. Hey, try it this way." We can't stiffen our neck and say, I'm, I, "This is the way I've always done it," or "This is the you know." No, we we work alongside one another, encouraging each other. First Corinthians chapter twelve. You can read that in a, starting in verse fourteen. It talks about the body, all different parts. We can't all be hands. We can't all be feet. But as we are parts, the body of Christ working together, it's amazing what, what God can do if he simply finds willing people to get involved and do the work. We saw that another phrase referred to so over and over and over. As a matter of fact, again, 38 times in our text, the son of, the son of, the son of. Guys, the work that we do reflects on the family, and it reflects on our Father. And again, going back to that diligently, zealously serving him with a passion, again, for his work, what he desires to do. There's, uh, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot in here, um, a lot of great encouragement, I hope, for you, certainly for me in the time that we, we are in, because there's a lot of work to do. And just like them, when they looked, remember when Nehemiah got there, the wall had been in this condition for decades. People living there, not doing anything because they said, what's the use? 
What, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, it's ruined. It's, what's the use? It's way too big a job. It's impossible. And here one man, after praying and fasting and seeking the Lord and going and saying there and saying, look at what God is doing this. God's hand is on me. He's been doing this. We're going to move forward. They get behind it. They do the work and we're going to see it. And we mentioned this already. 52 days, the wall gets done. Because again, children of God, in the will of God, doing the work of God, by the spirit of God, things get done. But we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to say, all right, Lord, here I am. Doesn't, doesn't matter what's, what's in your past. It doesn't matter what your skill set is. Just say, God, I'm here. I'm willing to be used. How do you want to use me? And let's see what God, God does. I'm super excited for what God is doing in surprise. But I also know there's a whole lot more to be done. And he wants to use us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this, this outline that you give us here in Nehemiah of what simple men and women of God willing to be used, willing to give whatever it is that they have to the work, passionately, zealously, encouraging each other, being patient with one another, what you can do. And Lord, we just simply come to you and we say, Lord, I don't, I don't have anything but what you've given me, but what you've given me, I give back to you. Use me, do with me what, what you will. Lord, we know that there are many lost people all around us. And Lord, I, I can't help but think they're tired of being lied to. They want the truth. And we know the truth. Lord, give us boldness. Give us opportunity. Lord, unite us as a church. And not just as a Calvary Chapel surprise church, but as your body, the church. Unite us in this work. We thank you. We praise you. For you alone are worthy of all our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.